0: Welcome to Radio on the Lake Presents. I'm your host, Caroline Brader Watts. Our second episode is one that's close to my heart because I was first introduced to the story on the classic television series, The Twilight Zone, and it haunted me for years after. The Hitchhiker's original incarnation was as a radio play written by Lucille Fletcher, whose earlier claim to fame was as the author of the suspense classic Sorry, Wrong Number, which also started as a radio play, then went on to be a novel and an acclaimed film. The Hitchhiker was originally broadcast in 1941 on The Orson Welles Show on CBS Radio, featuring a score written and conducted by none other than legendary film composer Bernard Herrmann. Wells performed it four times on radio, until it was adapted into that memorable Twilight Zone episode in 1960. If you saw it particularly as a child, you probably haven't forgotten it. Pretty Inger Stevens on a cross-country trip, seeing a hitchhiker at every turn. In this original script, the main character is a man, but it loses none of its eerie fascination. Enjoy The Hitchhiker.
1: I'm in an auto camp on Route 66, just west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell it, perhaps it'll help me, keep me from going, going crazy. I gotta tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age, unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick, license number 6Y175189. I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane that it's not me who's gone mad. It's something else, something utterly beyond my control. I've got to speak quickly. At any moment, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on earth, the last night I ever see the stars. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. (laughs) Goodbye, mother. Here, give me a kiss. Then I'll go.
2: I'll come out to the car with
1: you. Oh no! It's raining. Stay here at the door.
2: Oh. Mm.
1: Hey, what's this? Tears? I thought you promised me you wouldn't cry.
2: Oh, I know, dear. I I'm sorry, but I do hate to see you
1: go. Mother, I'll be back. I'll only be on the coast three months. Oh, it isn't that. It's it's just the trip, Ronald. I wish you weren't driving. Oh, mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but
2: you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road.
1: Gosh, you'd think I was still 17 to hear you talk. And
2: wire me as soon as you get to Hollywood. Of course. Won't you, son?
1: (laughs) Of course I will. Don't you worry. There isn't anything going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads with a hot dog or a hamburger stand on every ten miles. I was in fine spirits. The drive ahead of me, even the loneliness, seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he'd got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beaten me to the skyway, and let him off. I didn't stop for him. But then, late that night, we saw him again. It was on the new Pennsylvania Turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. 265 miles long with a high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of those tunnels when I saw him standing under a, an arc light by the side of the road. I could see him quite distinctly, the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain spattered over his shoulders. He helloed me at this time. Hello, hello, stepped on the gas like a shot. It's lonely country through the Alleghenies and I had no intention of stopping. Besides the coincidences or whatever it was, he gave me the willies. I stopped the next gas station yes sir uh fill her up certainly sir check your oil sir no thanks nice night isn't it yes it hasn't been raining here recently has it not a drop of rain all week oh i uh, suppose that hasn't done your business any harm people drive through here all kinds of weather mostly business you know there aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year i suppose not what about hitchhikers <laughs> hitchhikers here what's the matter don't you ever see any Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, a guy would be a fool who'd started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it! Then you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Oh no, no, not not at all. I just, uh, a technical question. Oh, I see. Well, that'll be just a $1.49 with the tax. The thing gradually passed through my mind as sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all next day until, till just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. It was a bright, sunshiny afternoon. Peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming in the golden light, and I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In the front of the barrier, he was standing. Now let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat. There was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence, nor nor was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little, with a cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he had been waiting there for hours. He looked up, he hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello. No, not just now, sorry. Going to California? No, no, not today. The other way, going to New York, sorry. After I got the car back on the road again, I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. At the same time, I felt, more than ever, unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. The fields, the towns, ticked off one by one. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. Yeah, what do you want? You sell sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we do in the daytime, but we're closed up now for the night. I know, but I was wondering if you could possibly let me have a cup of coffee. Black coffee. No, not this time of night, mister. My wife's the cook. She's in bed. No, don't shut the door, please. Listen, just a minute. Just a minute, there was a man standing here beside this, this stand, a suspicious-looking man. I, I, I don't mean to disturb you. You see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and there he was. What was he doing? Well, nothing. You've been taking a nip. That's what you've been doing. Now, on your way before I call out Sheriff folks. I got into the car again and drove on slowly. I was beginning to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. The few resort places they were closed, the occasional log cabin seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild. I had seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road, I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. But I didn't see him again. I didn't see him until the next afternoon. I'd stop the car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by when he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. A perfectly airless, dry day, the red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. Couldn't stand that. Without thinking blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't even look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, veering the wheel sharply towards him. I could hear the train in the distance now. Then, something went wrong with the car. It stalled right on the tracks. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. Now I knew that he was beckoning, beckoning me to my death. Well, I frustrated him that time. Starter worked at last. I managed to back up. When the train passed, he was gone. I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself alone on the road for one minute. Hello there. Want a ride? How far are you going? Uh, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee.
3: Uh, you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. Go right ahead. Oh, gee. What a break this is. It take much? Sure. Only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the brakes.
1: Yeah. I should think it would be. Though I'll bet you get a good pickup in a fast car. If you did, you could get places faster than, say, another person in another car, couldn't you?
3: I don't get ya.
1: Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm, I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip about 45 miles an hour. Couldn't a girl like you just standing beside the road waiting for a lift beat me to town or any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car doing from 65 to 70 miles an hour?
3: I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh,
1: difference? It's just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car.
3: Oh, ho-ho. imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that.
1: What would you do instead?
3: what would I do if I was a good-looking fellow like yourself? Why, I just enjoy myself, enjoy every minute of the time. I would sit back and, and relax. And if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road, <gasps> hey, look out!
1: Did you see him too? See who? That man standing beside the barbed wire fence.
3: I didn't see anybody. It was nothing but a bunch of cows and, and the wire fence. No? What would you think you was doing? Trying to run into a barbed wire
1: fence? And there was a man there, I tell you. A thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. And I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? You mean kill him? You say you didn't see him back
3: there? You sure? I didn't see a soul. And as far as that's concerned... Well,
1: watch for him next time. Keep your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again, maybe any minute now. There! Look! Look there!
3: Ah! How does this door work? I'm, I'm getting out of here. Did
1: you see him that time?
3: No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I do not expect to ever see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long driving with you.
1: Sorry, I didn't. I don't know what came over me. Please, don't go.
3: So if you'll excuse me.
1: You can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing
3: pink elephants all the way? No thanks. Uh Uh-uh. Thanks just the same.
1: Listen, please. Just, Just one minute, please.
3: You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of sleep.
1: Please, you can't go. Please.
3: Leave your hands off me. Do you hear? You leave your hands off me.
1: She ran from me as though I were a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. I was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. And tried to figure out what to do, how I could get a hold of myself. I could just find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road. I was getting my winter coat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello! Maybe I should have spoken to him then, thought it out then and there. Now he began to be everywhere. Wherever I stopped, even for a moment, for gas, for oil, for a drink a pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich. He was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. He was sitting near the drinking fountain of a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque when I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was, I was afraid to stop now. I began to drive faster and faster. I was in, in a lunar landscape now the great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. Now, he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in its same attitude over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over the dried up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in that pure, cloudless air. I was beside myself when finally I reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp here, cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone i had the feeling that if i could speak to someone familiar someone i loved i could pull myself together i was directed to the phone booth in the back
3: operator your call please
1: long distance
3: long distance certainly
1: i'd like i'd like to put a, in a call to my home in brooklyn new york i'm ronald adams um the number is Beechwood 20828.
3: Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beechwood 20828.
1: I read somewhere that love could banish demons. I, it was in the middle of the morning. I knew Mother'd be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in, the, in a crisp house dress going about her tasks. It'd be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Go ahead, please. Uh, hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello? Hel- hello, Mother? This is Mrs.
2: Adams' residence, Who is it you wish to speak to, please?
1: Who's this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beechwood 20828? Yes. Where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams?
2: Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family?
1: What's she in the hospital for?
2: She's been prostrate for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is this calling?
1: A new nervous breakdown? Well, my mother was never nervous.
2: It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald.
1: death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is
2: Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir.
3: Your three minutes are up, sir.
1: And so, I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I'm trying to think. Trying to get a hold of myself. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me, stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains, prairies, desert. Somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am.
0: The Hitchhiker was produced by Radio on the Lake Theater. Ronald Adams was played by McGregor Arney. The Woman in the Car and The Operator were played by Jessica Farr. Mrs. Adams and Mrs. Winnie were played by Chris Parker. And the storekeeper and the gas station attendant were played by Timmy Mays. The director of The Hitchhiker was Zachary James Myers, and the sound effects producer was John Watts. Please join us next week for Three Skeleton Keys. I'm Caroline Brader-Watts. Thanks for listening.